Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. You can keep it. It is yours. No slides today, my apologies. Um, But there are notes. If you need sermon notes and have not gotten any, uh, let me encourage that. We're doing a three-week series starting today called Why Are We Named Foundation? Most of you were with us a year and a half ago when we uh, made the decision to come up with a name that did not involve a city that's five miles away. (laughs) Some of you guys recall we had my own mother-in-law. We had a number of people that ended up off in Antelope, the city, on a Sunday morning, frustrated, trying to find us. And so we, we, worked, we worked to say, hey, hey, what are some names that are not local cities? <laughs> foundation is one of them. If there was a foundation in California five miles down the road, we would not have done this, but we did. Three weeks, I want to teach us three of the most important answers to the question, why are we named foundation? Because this is a word and a concept that the New Testament uses, I think, beautifully and with different nuance. Each of these three uh, answers are slightly different from each other, but they would gel very nicely. And they build off of Old Testament teaching of the image of the temple. Before Jesus, God being amongst his people was in a building, not to protect God from anything, but to protect us from being incinerated. Was that too rated R for you guys? You ever read the book of Exodus? Okay, Isaiah says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, of a people of unclean lips, and I have seen the most high. He thought he was gonna die because of seeing God. He knew what God, how God had interacted with Moses. He knew that it was by mercy that Moses was able to interact with God and not die. So when God said, Emmanuel, I'm gonna be a God with my people, amongst my people, totally different than the gods of Egypt, The with us, the Emmanuel, required something to protect these sinners from a holy and righteous God. I know that's for the 21st century mind, that's very, like we're we're slow to even admit that we've done wrong things, let alone that the presence of a holy deity would incinerate us. Uh, We watch Marvel movies where deities fight each other and there's always always a bigger baddie with a a shield or a a glove or somebody can, can fight back. It's basically just polytheism. But the Bible is monotheistic. It says there's Yahweh and then there's the also-rans. You guys know the also-rans? Everybody who makes big claims, I am really awesome. And then God kills him and he's eaten by worms in the book of Acts, right? The also-rans, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm really awesome. That's funny. I think you're going to eat with the cows for seven years. The also-rans, all of the gods of Egypt. Well, we can can mimic all of the stuff that Moses... No, no, we can't mimic all the stuff that Moses did <laughs> to Egypt. Oh no. Or Dagon, one of the, if you guys have been around church for a long time, Dagon was the idol of the Philistines. When the Philistines captured the Ark, they put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple of Dagon. What does Dagon do? Bible students, talk to me. He bows down. Statues, man-made statues that we'll give our worship to will bow down. And eventually it happens multiple times and his hands and his face are broken off. Okay. So if monotheism, one God, is true, the monotheism of the Bible is true, if God is really this big and he is this holy, 
it would actually kind of make sense that maybe, just maybe we'd listen to him when he says, hey, I want to be with you because I love you, but I am just and holy. So there's got to be some kind of a boundary. There has to be some kind of a barrier. And that's what the tabernacle was out of the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. That's what the, eventually what was built as the temple, what it functioned as. We come to God at the temple for a very, very long time. This is how the people of God interacted and worshiped him. We come there and what's the very first thing where my Sunday school kids at, what is the very first thing we do when we come to the temple? We don't get to pray yet. That's, that's a good answer, I like it, but we don't get to pray yet. What's the very first thing we do? Sacrifice. An innocent lamb or a bull or a turtle dove has to die first. We get, and, and, I'm, and I'm not just saying what God told us to do, it's right there in the scriptures what he told us to do and in which order, but even physically, we walk into the temple, what's the first thing? The altar where an innocent animal is slaughtered. So everything that you do to get to God starts with the death of the innocent and we see this fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ later on when he, he is the lamb that dies for you. He is the priest that explains to you how to relate rightly to God. He is the holy of holies. <laughs> if we didn't understand that Jesus Christ is the holy place, he made it clear when he cried out, it is finished. And the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. God tore it, not us. That's what the top to bottom means. God's holiness, he decided through the cross of Christ, was not gonna incinerate his people anymore. He was gonna wash us in his own blood so that his Holy Spirit could live inside his people. And that is the sending of the Holy Spirit inside the church. So that's a primer on this idea for over a thousand years, we viewed God as being at a building. That was the temple. It was a really big deal. And at the cross of Christ and specifically at Pentecost, God broke out. So you would think maybe those who wrote the apostles, who wrote the New Testament, they might take the temple altogether and throw it out. Why? Because the, the, the veil's been torn from top to bottom. God doesn't live there anymore. He lives in his people. The New Testament writers didn't throw out the temple. They redefined it. And they said something terrifying if you're a Christian. Are you ready? Are you ready for the bad news? We are the temple. No, 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 no. You're saying hallelujah because I haven't explained it yet. <laughs> Citrus Heights comes to you to find out how to relate to God. Sacred responsibility? Yes. Citrus Heights comes to you and has to deal with the offense that is the cross of Christ. That's the first step toward God. What are we going to do with my sin? I can't interact with a a righteous and holy God because I am a what? A man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. And the first thing staring at me when I went to investigate faith is this bloodied cross. And these Christians, these weirdos who don't know how to play golf apparently because on Sundays they're always hanging out together. They are the ones who have the sacred responsibility of explaining it to me. What is this whole bloodied cross thing? What is this empty tomb thing? That is the priestly ministry. The priests were there going, this is the part of the animal that is put on the sacrament. This is the part that goes to the priest. The priests were teaching and explaining everything. And brothers and sisters, you and I are now the priests. 
Jesus is the sacrifice. The cross is the altar. You and I are the priests. So when we name ourselves foundation, this is temple language. And the New Testament is gonna give basically three answers when we ask, what is the foundation? And each of these three weeks is gonna get a sermon, okay? And for those of you who are A-types, just you're gonna have to take a deep breath because there's a little bit of tension. These answers do not contradict each other. They complement each other, I think, quite nicely. One of the New Testament answers is that Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church and of Christian living. He himself is the foundation. And one of the texts is gonna say that explicitly. Another text is a little bit more complex than that. It's gonna say he is the cornerstone, which is the stone that is set down that determines where the foundation's even laid in the first place. That's like saying he's the foundation of the foundation. And, he, and that text is gonna tell us, we'll get to this later, that that text says he is the cornerstone and the foundation is everything that the prophets said and everything that the apostles say. So everybody sent by God to tell us truth before Messiah and tell us about Messiah. They are the foundation of the church. Let me break that down into English. That's another way of saying the Old Testament and the New Testament are the foundation of the church and Jesus is the foundation of that. So, Jesus is the foundation, Jesus is the cornerstone. And then what we're gonna teach on today from Jesus' own words, another answer to the question, Jesus says that his teachings are the foundation of the church or the foundation of at least of the Christian life well lived. Uh, and as I was talking with Kevin over lunch yesterday, I realized as, we were, as I was sharing with him, uh, Jesus is God, he does not lie. So his words and who he is are the exact same thing, right? Scripture says out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So Greg Kaiser and his words are actually kind of the same thing and that's terrifying. But I can lie because I'm a sinner. Jesus doesn't lie. So if scripture says Jesus is the foundation and Jesus says my words and teachings are the foundation, there's no contradiction there. Everything Jesus told us about how to live life in right relationship with God, that's a part of who he is. Uh, I know I'm rewinding the clock four years, but we started the book, the gospel of John. And how does John start? In the beginning, the logos, all knowledge in the universe became flesh and made his dwelling among us. His teachings, his word, what is true. All that's true in the universe embodied in a person and that's Christmas. So that's the next three weeks. We're gonna ask ourselves, why are we named foundation? And the answers are gonna be, hey, Jesus' teachings are the foundation. Jesus himself is the foundation. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the foundation of the foundation. And this is why this name is beautiful and powerful. All right. Now let's actually um, preach the sermon. He hasn't started preaching yet? I am never coming back here. Let's go to Luke chapter six. Matthew, Mark, Luke. I apologize. I didn't look up in the hardback. First person in the hardback to find Luke six. Would you shout out a page number for us, please? 857. Is that what I heard? Awesome. 857. If you're in the hardback, Luke chapter six. Make sure to turn there so you know I'm not making anything up. We're going to the last four verses of the chapter. So you're almost at chapter seven, right before the faith of the Roman officer. Luke 
This, oh, these are the words of Jesus. So why do you keep calling me Lord? Wait, 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 wait. What do we do in English when somebody starts off with the word so? We back it up. So is saying like a therefore. Because of this, this. What's going on before verse 46? Just look at the headings. He's preaching the Beatitudes. Love for enemies, starting at verse 27. Bless those who curse you. Don't judge others, like humility, being small, letting God be big, blind leading the blind, a tree and its fruit. A good tree only produces good fruit. Bad tree produces bad fruit. So why do you keep saying with your mouth that I'm your Lord when you don't do what I say? Is Jesus starting off, a ha- I mean, is this happy or is this happy? Jesus is serious as a heart attack about those of us who call ourselves Christ followers actually doing what he says. Loving our enemies, not judging others, And he uses this illustration. Look, good tree, good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. Ouch. Well, I want to wiggle out of it because I would like to self-justify. So let me ask a question that's not in there. So Jesus, what does that look like practically? This whole good tree concept. Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? You have to feel like the Pharisees, the religious elite are to some degree the background, socially the background of comments like this. I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching and then follows it, actually does it. Verse 48, it is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. Verse 49, but anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. Let's close in prayer, right? Look at the text. That's the, there's a quotation mark. That's the end of what Jesus says. And then it tells a story. That's how Jesus ended that teaching. You don't build your life. You don't actually obey what I say. The storms will come and your life will collapse. That's why I'm teaching you. I don't want your life to collapse. We can never ever accuse Jesus of playing it soft, can we? He loves us enough to be a little bit blunt. Man, if you'll build your life on my teachings, the storm's gonna come. You know it's gonna come. And that house is gonna do really, really well. And that's what I want for you. If you build your life on anything else, the storm is gonna still come and it's not gonna go well. Your whole life will be a heap of ruins. And it wasn't just, this is, you know, he doesn't mention somebody who lives off in some far island away from everybody and has never heard of Jesus. He says, you sat in church for 50 years and you listened to the gospel and you did nothing with it. 
your life will collapse like a heap of ruins. Goodness gracious, right? These are important texts for those of us who've been in church for a long time, participating with the outward trappings of Christianity. But are we actually obeying is what Jesus is asking. Okay, note takers, grab your pens. We're gonna fill in some blanks because I know some of you live to fill in blanks. And these are important ones anyway. Oh, I lied. We're not filling in blanks yet. You A-typers, you're just gonna have to twist in the wind. (laughs) First, we're doing our discussion question. Turn around real quick. Introduce yourself to the person behind you. Say hi, because we're about to do a discussion question. And here is what we are going to talk about with your new friends. This is going to be perhaps the easiest discussion question in the history of our church. Are you ready? Because I already riffed on on telling you where this sermon series is going. But you can share your own personal thoughts and other texts of scripture if you want to. What are some good biblical reasons or even practical ones to name a church foundation. What are some good reasons to name a church foundation? Go ahead and share your thoughts with your new friends. I'll give you 90 seconds. All right, let's bring it together. Who wants to share the awesome wisdom that happened in your group? Or some answers that you guys came up with? Good reasons to name a church foundation. Oh, you didn't think anything in your group was, was, was wise. Ah, that happens. That happens. <laughs> Want to share? I hope so. Amen. For those at home, uh, the church is to be, we hope, the foundation of our community and definitely of our fellowship. Yeah. Yes. The church is based on the truth of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Na- good reason to name a church foundation is because we're based on the truth of Jesus. Yeah. Any other answers? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. So the strength and the, well, you said firm, the strength and the uh, confidence that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in who he is gives a feeling of stability maybe. Is there a lot of stability in our culture? <laughs> Are there a lot of promises of stability? There might be promises, but yeah, yeah. All right, last one. Who else would like to share what their group shared? Yeah. Yeah, like a rock. Not going anywhere. Not going anywhere. Okay, now the note takers. Making the teachings of Jesus your foundation is wise. It's wise. 
Wisdom and folly are a couple of things. One, we live in a world that talks a lot about what's, we talk a lot about what is smart or what is stupid, smart or ignorant. And we don't realize that we are operating on a totally different plane than the book of Proverbs and much of the scriptures. When we say a word like stupid, which is ostensibly about knowledge, we usually mean it's actually mean foolish. It is, you did something stupid. We, you did something without wisdom. You spoke something that was not wise. Wisdom and folly are the continuum when you're reading through Proverbs. Proverbs is terrifying because Proverbs will tell you it doesn't really matter how much you know, you could still be a fool. You could be a successful CEO of a Fortune 500 company that you built yourself with half your brain tied behind your back and you could still be a fool if you take off your wedding ring and go to the bar and flirt with whoever's there. You're a fool. Read it. I'm not making that up. It's Greg's standard version, but it's in there. The promiscuous woman is multiple chapters of Proverbs, okay? You can be very, very smart and be a fool. Jesus is not talking in this build a house illustration about just what's smart or what's logical. It's wise. It is a God-given ability to use information rightly. That's what wisdom is. Scripture says that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. A healthy respect and reverence for God is just the first step of being wise. Look again at verse 48 with me. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. Here's where the wisdom is intensely pragmatic. And here's how you know your decision was wise. When the flood waters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it's well built. Now, let me ask you a trick question. Are Jesus' words true for your life or are Jesus' words true for the church? Right? We are more than the sum of our parts. A church gets healthier the more of us build our lives on the teachings of Christ and are operating out of wisdom, the whole family benefits and is blessed, right? That's the whole point of the spiritual gifts that we bless and build up and strengthen each other. You ever think about that one? The relationship between Proverbs and spiritual gifts and the one another commands. Teach one another. What if the person who's trying to obey that command has no wisdom? Do you want them to teach you? <laughs> rebuke one another. She's gonna rebuke you, but she has no wisdom. Do you want her to rebuke you? Right? This could go really bad. <laughs> so he says, it's gonna go well for you. Your life will not crumble. Your communal life, your church, you will not crumble if you're built on my teachings. Um, I could, and we could go for an hour, I could ask you right now, especially those of you who are older than me, to raise your hand and tell stories of every way that a church has made the evening news in the last 50 years. And you look at it and they've imploded and they've defamed God's glory in some way. And we would all have to look at it and go, man, I'm not on the inside, but there was somewhere where Christ's teachings were simply not being followed because that is sin. And that is sin that hasn't been dealt with for years. There was a big scandal at a church in New York just two years ago that was headline news. And you go, man, that's, that's a, a life or a group of lives that are not built on the teachings of Jesus. Tragically, we just watched the whole thing implode. 
Oh, brutal. So trivia question, I don't have the exact numbers, but I think you guys know. If in 1999, I understand some of you weren't there, most of you were. In 1999, if you bought Amazon stock, how would you feel about that decision in the middle of 2021, just two and a half years later? How would you feel about that decision? Lousy. There was a tech bubble in 2001 and it crashed and you would have lost two thirds of your money. But if you did not freak out and you held on to that Amazon stock, even though it had lost two thirds of its value, how would you feel about the 1999 decision in 2023? I tell you, you wouldn't be driving a beater Corolla to church. No, you wouldn't. You'd be doing fine. But we don't invest knowing the future, do we? Right? That's why it feels like a slot machine. What if God loved us so much that he told us the future so that we could make an investment that was literally foolproof? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be loving of our creator if he told us the future? Look at verse 20, I'm sorry, look at verse 48 again where Jesus tells us the future. When the flood waters rise, bad stuff's gonna happen and I'm speaking in future tense. In the future, rough stuff's gonna happen. He told us the future. But your life is built on me so that it's gonna break against the house and that, because it's well built, it's not going to collapse, it's gonna stand firm. He just told us the future. How kind of him, because he's the only one who knows the future, right? We're all guessing. Our creator told us the future of our lives and the future of our church, period. And he doesn't lie. I deeply, I, I hope all of you do. I care very, very deeply how my grandkids are doing. If they were in fellowship here years from now, how are they being shepherded and taught and cared for and sent on mission into a dark and dying world? I care deeply. Do you know, we can already know in decent general terms, if not details, we can already know how foundations are gonna be doing in 20, 40, 70 years. We can know. Because where God gets glorified, he pours oxygen onto that flame. Do you know that? Do you see that through 66 books of the Bible? If God's gonna get his glory, he sees this tiny little flame and he'll come along. In the book of Revelation, he says to the churches another way, hey, your light's gonna get snuffed out if you don't get back to your first love. Let's get back to the basics. Foundation, we know whether we'll survive another generation or not. Are we going to build our lives on every single word that proceeds from the mouth of God or are we gonna try to live on bread alone? We get to decide. Your own life you want it to come crashing down? Jesus told you your future. You can make your life crash. Ignore what Jesus says. There we go. It'll crash next year. It'll crash in 10 years. It'll crash in 30. It's gonna crash. He told you. He told me the future. So I want you to fill this in in your notes. 
And if you're not writing down notes, you are free to tattoo this on your forearm. We have an artist who's gonna do tattoos on the way out today. No, we don't. <laughs> Commit to daily Bible study, group Bible study, and being here on Sundays. Those are your blanks. Commit to daily Bible study, group Bible study, and being here on Sundays. All three of these are very different and they are all commanded in scripture. I don't know how to be more blunt. God told us to cherish the word and meditate on it continually, daily, morning and evening. I keep on sending you guys back to Psalm 119. That is the uh, chapter on adoring the commands of God and cherishing them. Discussing communally, the word of God. One of the coolest images is obviously in Acts 2, 42 through 47, but I wanna always put before you the really cool image. When Ezra and Nehemiah have rediscovered the scriptures and the people of God have gone generations without scriptures. Ezra reads it out to this ginormous crowd. And what do the Levites do? Sunday school kids, where are you at? They explain it to everybody around them. So the preacher isn't preaching, he's not saying what the scripture means. He's just reading the scripture. He's going line by line, telling what God said. And these groups are broken out all across Israel going, and this is what it means, and answering questions. You wanna know if you can run a temple foundation? Are you helping the person next to you understand scripture? This is what disciple groups are. It is said on Sunday morning, but I didn't understand it because Greg's a goober, because Greg wasn't clear, because he talked over my head. He thought I, he assumed more biblical knowledge than I actually had. There are so many reasons on a Sunday morning why you might not understand what I said, or maybe I didn't preach that component of the text. And it is socially awkward. There are a relatively small number of us. It wouldn't be too bad, but it would slow the sermon down if we could just raise our hand and ask a question, Right? If, if the room gets more and more full of people, it gets even more cumbersome. Are we gonna get out of here by three? I mean, goodness gracious. This is our opportunity for the Levites to be spread out amongst the people and answer questions and care for you because we want you to know how to relate to God. And this is what disciple groups do. You get into a group of 10, like Jethro told us 2,600 years ago to do. I'm sorry, 3,600 years ago. I missed a millennium. We get into groups of tens like Jethro said, and all of a sudden things work. Tens and fifteens, you can ask now. Your, your shepherds, the elders, can spread out and get life on life with you, hear how you're really doing, pray for you, care for you, in a way that doesn't function on Sunday morning because Greg won't shut up. He just keeps talking, right? It's different. This is, to use Acts 2 language, this is Solomon's colonnade, where Peter came and he would shout, to however many thousands could hear him in a large public space, but structurally it didn't allow me to ask questions and share about my week and get prayed for. Does that make sense? Somebody say yes. I hope I'm not up here flapping my lips to make a breeze. There are times where we need to say, man, I know Greg said this and I know he even read a scripture that proved it, but I'm struggling. I'm struggling to believe that. We need a place to say, man, I'm struggling. We need a place to say, I don't understand, would you teach me? We need a place to say, man, I know that's theoretically true, but could you encourage me? Man, Greg said, 
lay your life down for your wife, but this is what's actually going on in marriage right now. Would you give me counsel? The one another's of scripture can't really happen on Sunday morning. Some of them can, a lot of them cannot. That was for free. Second blank, make the teachings of Jesus your foundation. Making the teachings of Jesus your foundation makes you strong. This is number two. Making the teachings of Jesus your foundation makes you strong. Back to 48 that I've already read five times. When the storm comes, not if, when the storm comes, your life doesn't crash, it stands firm. And again, the Lord has told us the future, how kind. I wanna build a life that's strong. I wanna build it for God's glory. I wanna build a life that's not a train wreck for the sake of my wife. I wanna build a life that's honorable and respectable for the sake of my kids. How many of us know if you've got kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, if you teach in foundation kids, you've got any of the generation behind you looking up to you, your life being built on rock or your life being built on sand is going to be illustrated to the generations behind you whether you like it or not. Scary? When your children start repeating the things you say and you go, my character is getting photocopied into my children. That's terrifying. Oh, I'm the only one? No, okay, fine, you you guys aren't sinners. My sins get photocopied into my children. I watch it and I go, yikes, I need to repent. Bad grammar, great doctrine. I need to repent because that's from me. They didn't get that from scripture. They didn't get that from Sunday school. They didn't get it from their mama. They got it from me. Oh. But Jesus told me in advance how to build something that'll last in my own life. Greg, the storms are gonna come and you are not gonna crumble. Why? If you obey my teachings. Oh, every time I repeat it, it's not getting any more complex, is it? it it's just that simple, right? We like to overcomplicate it. We wanna parse Greek verbs. He says, build your life on my teachings. Everything I say. We are particularly talking about the recorded words of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The rest of the New Testament does great work in extrapolating all of what Jesus said and what that means practically. This is a life that's not going to crumble. So there was a guy, don't ask me where, somewhere in the US, who was like a hardcore prepper. If you don't know what a prepper is, these are folks that make sure they've got food and ammo and whatever, they're ready if something bad happens. If you're a mild prepper, I wanna know where you live because you've got seven days worth of food, you're ready for a flood in the Sac Valley, what have you. But the hardcore preppers, they're not gonna tell you where their property is. (laughs) And they've stacked stockpiles of silver and food and solar and ammo like the day is long. I still wish I knew where you lived so I'd know where to run if something bad happens. But there was a guy who had spent over $200,000 taking his home and putting in these really heavy doors, these fancy bulletproof windows, buying guns, buying food storage. He had a, a nuclear cellar down beneath his house in case of nuclear war. Like He was ready for a lot of potential disasters. And he one day hears on a podcast this former... U.S. Marine sniper who you could hire 
to come and assess your property strategically and give feedback on how would you defend this property if people were coming at you with guns. It all feels like a video game, doesn't it? Anyway, so he hires this guy, pays him thousands of dollars to come out to his property, and the guy takes one look at the property and says, well, I think you might want to consider selling the property and moving somewhere else. And the guy's jaw hits the ground. He said, no, I bought this land, I built this house, and I've spent over $200,000 preparing this house and this bungalow. Said, what do you mean sell the property? And he says, well, do you see that hill? He says, this hill is less than 600 feet from your house. And to a sniper, that's a very short distance. If I'm on that hill and I mean you harm, I control this entire property just by being up on that hill. Your house is literally built in the wrong place on the property. The house needs to be built up on that hill. It's in the wrong place. I would sell the property. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't feel good to be 52 and have the preacher tell you you've wasted your whole life, but you're hearing it so that you can rebuild. Jesus is telling you now, whatever your age, whatever your life stage, stop building where you have been building. Sell it and take Jesus instead. You are still sucking wind, so his mercy is still available to you. He wants you to see life for what it is. You've been building on the wrong foundation. You've been building on your own effort. You've been building on your own smarts. You've been building on your achievements, your own self-righteousness. I think I'm a pretty good person. And Jesus loves us enough to say, those are foundations of sand. And when the storm comes, your whole life will crash. That's not fun to hear. And you think of all the wasted years. There's a huge emotional cost in, in business, they call it sunk cost. We've already put millions of dollars into this business idea. We can't abandon it now. No, 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 you're gonna die if you don't abandon it. You've got to move on. You've got to move on. So your next step, I want you to fill in the blanks. Commit to daily Bible study, group Bible study, and being here on Sundays. He already said that. Yeah, you didn't get it the first time. So I'm saying it again. Commit to daily Bible study, group Bible study, and being here on Sundays. Again, all three of these are illustrated and commanded in Scripture. They are mission critical if we're going to be a training ground of disciples, one of our vision statements. Mission critical to love and cherish the voice of your Father that comes through the Word. Third, we're running out of time. Making the teachings of Jesus your foundation requires action. Making the teachings of Jesus of your foundation requires action. Back at verse 46. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? We don't get to read the Bible. We don't get to study the Bible. We have to actually obey. And we don't like that word, do we? But what if God gives us faith and we realize this obedience is gonna be for our blessing and for our greatest joy? All of a sudden, obedience looks great. All of a sudden, it's exciting. So I learned a couple weeks ago this concept in psychology called stolen valor. There's a video online, don't look at it unless you're comfortable with very colorful language, of two former Navy SEALs confronting a man who is sitting in a subway wearing a Navy SEAL hat and has three fake Navy SEAL tridents pinned to his lapel. He's sitting there 
waiting to soak up all of the honor of, oh, thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. And these two men know because they're seals, a seal would never, ever dress that way. But they found a guy who liked the verbal affirmation, even though he had never done the work. He found a guy who liked going into the bar and ordering a drink and somebody inherently, uh, inevitably would buy a drink for him. Well, you're a Navy SEAL. Let me buy your drink. He had not done, gone through the pain. He had not done the work. He wanted the praise. And what does Jesus tell us about somebody like that? Your house isn't actually built on the bedrock. You're kind of claiming that it is. You might be saying you're a Christian, but you're not obeying your Christ. This is stolen valor at best, and it's not going to work. The storm is going to come, and you will be exposed as a fraud. This isn't going to work. So, next step, grab your pens. Commit to daily Bible study, group Bible study, and being here on Sundays. Brownie points if you already had it filled in. In your bulletin, I stuffed in there a fancy-smancy connection card. Would you pull that out? Thank you, Melissa, by the way, for making these. They look great. I want to ask you to fill it out and leave it on your chair. I want you to make 2023 the year that you commit yourself fully to this community. I know that's maybe a little bit brazen, but it's kind of my job to say it. I need to ask it. Until you have got good friends here, I wanna let you know you're not fully committed yet. You've got to have good friends to walk through the storms of life with. You've got to. And maybe you already have good friends, but you need to be a friend to somebody who's not connected. I wanna encourage you today to check a box, there are a few different areas on that connection card where you can say, I need to take uh, my next step. I need to take the next step of obe obedience. This whole text is about obedience. And put your name on there and just leave it and we'll collect it later. Put your email in there if you're not getting uh, church emails and we'll make sure to communicate with you. Every Four months, I get up here and I ask you, please get into a disciple group. And some of us do, and some of us don't. And you know what the funny thing is? When you guys don't, it's not like you guys come and tell me why. So I'm flying blind three times a year. The elders are flying blind three times a year because I talk with them. They don't necessarily know either. We are trying to protect you from the lies of the enemy we are trying to guide you toward what is true and beautiful in the scriptures. We are trying to unleash spiritual gifts of the one and others obeyed rightly for your flourishing. There is no Christianity today posting foundation of their awesome numbers. This is not about vanity. This is about pastoral ministry. This week, groups are starting. 55 and forward, we're gonna meet next week, guys. We're gonna pick up in Colossians right where we left off. Uh, my Monday night group, I'll see you guys tomorrow. Make sure to grab a copy of Grasping God's Word. Pastor Dennis, is your Monday night group starting tomorrow? They never stop. They never stop. Great. Don't tell new people that because then they'll know they're missing out on something. 
Okay, so groups start this week. Do it, folks, do it. I believe in you. Sorry it went long. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to share two quick announcements. Lord Jesus, it's only by your Holy Spirit that we are really convinced of what is true and we are moved to action. So I ask your spirit to do that today, please, God. We know that the culture tells us that rugged individualism is the path forward, but we also know the scripture has told us otherwise. So help us to trust you, Jesus. In your great name we pray, amen.